name. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Amen, amen. So John chapter 14, we're going to be picking back up. Verse 16, this is um, right in the middle of one of the long passages that the Lord gives. It says in verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. The comforter there is the one who is similar to Jesus. In fact, this is God, the Spirit of God. This comforter is God. And the comforter, he said that this comforter is the helper. This is the one who will come to your rescue, to your aid, to give you counsel, to give you direction, to give you comfort, to give you guidance, to give you light, to be the witness for you in your life, just like Jesus was for the disciples. The, in, in fact, when he says he'll bring this comforter, it is intended to help you to understand the very same way Jesus comforted the disciples is the very same way the Holy Spirit comforts us. We're not, we're not derelict in it. We're not, we didn't get the short end of the stick. We didn't get, you know, left out. God has given us a comforter just like he gave the disciples. You know, there was a time whenever we always used these stories in sermons, but, you know, whenever the boat was beginning to face the waves and it was crashing and they all thought they were going to die, Jesus comes and he calms everything. He was comforting them. Whenever, whenever uh, Lazarus passed away and he came to the two sisters and you know what he did? He comforted them. He gave them the word that they needed. He told them that he is the resurrection and the life. And then he proceeded to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he was the comforter toward them. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is toward us. And what we see here is that the Holy Spirit is going to come to the believers. That's what he said. He may abide. So that may abide is a future event. It's a future event. Now, for us, it's in the past. He's talking specifically about Pentecost. But look at this next verse. He says, even the spirit of truth, which is another name for the comforter, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Look what he says. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you which speaks of the deity of Jesus, that he is God. But notice what he says here, that the world can't receive this spirit. The world can't see the spirit. Even today, the world rejects truth. If you have a line, the world will reject it. Our society today rejects truth. They don't know which bathroom to use. They don't know how they got here. They don't know their left from their right. They don't understand basic truth. This We live in a society that is rejecting truth, and it is being turned over to uh, its own defilement. It's being turned over into a dark place. When the truth is rejected, the light will begin to diminish in that place. Now, this is where the church comes in because it's our job to be the light right now. It's our job to herald the truth. Our job is not, our job is not to help people get wealthy or to help people find their soulmate. Our job is not to help people in these areas. Our job is to proclaim the truth of God's word. Our job is to help people know that Jesus took their sin, their iniquity, their shame. He bore it on Calvary's cross. You don't have to wear it anymore. You don't have to bear it anymore. If you'll surrender to Christ, you can know that he took that from you so that you can walk in freedom now. He has come to set the captive free. And that's what we proclaim. Amen? That's what we proclaim. Now, what you'll see here, though, the world just can't handle that. The world can't receive it. The world can't see it. It will not. In fact, the world gets very agitated when you begin to proclaim truth. But the truth here is that God, the Spirit of God, he said, dwells with you, speaking to the disciples, but he'll be 
in you. Now, that is Pentecost. That's speaking of Pentecost. That's when the Holy Ghost came down the first time. He's still here. Some people don't preach that, and some people don't teach it, and some people don't want that. But the Holy Ghost came down at Pentecost 2,000 years ago, and he's still here today. If you're not Pentecostal, I don't know what you are. Because Pentecost happened, and it hadn't, not ha- it hadn't stopped happening. The Holy Spirit is still here today. He's still moving today. He's still filling empty vessels that seek him today. He is still in doing with power from on high. And most of the time, if you talk to somebody, what they'll say is they just don't have any power. They don't have any power. They don't have that 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 push they don't have that desire they don't have that unction that comes from god but we must have that endowment of power in order to be the witness that we're called to be in this generation and listen in this hour it's going to take an endowment from power on high it's going to take a fresh anointing for these days because these days people don't want the truth and they will reject it violently and unless you are endued with power from on high you'll get squishy on the lord Unless you have that endowment of power from on high, you'll begin to flake. You'll begin to waver. You'll begin to back off those things that you know you're supposed to stand on. You'll begin to waver when you're supposed to hold the line and preach the truth. And sometimes, just like a doctor, a doctor may know somebody. The doctor might have grown up with somebody, but he might have gotten a bad diagnosis. Uh, that, that doctor has to look that patient square in the eye and say I've got to tell you this sometimes we've got to have some guts in the church and you may have to look somebody square in the eye in love and tell them the truth that without Christ they will perish in hell the world is going to reject the truth but God's people will receive it and our job is to not hold back right now our job is to press that forward so you see here that the Holy Spirit is dwelling with the disciples, but will be in the disciples. Will be in the disciples. Now, let's go over. Let's go over to Acts chapter seventeen. Holy Ghost will be in the disciples. Now, the Apostle Paul picks up. This, we're going to look at a couple of places that the Apostle Paul talks about this. We're going to start here in Acts seventeen, which is one of the most famous sermons in the Bible. See, the Apostle Paul, when he was in Athens, I love how the Bible records this. It says he got stirred up. He saw the sin of this Greek nation, and he got righteously indignant. Or in other words, it bothered him. It bothered him. It was sticking to him he couldn't shake it it was just bothering him and you know one of the things one of the problems in the church world today is nothing bothers us nothing bothers us i mean we can have tragedy heartache we can have up but nothing bothers us long as we can go to mcdonald's long as lights are on nothing bothers. we're not we're not sensitive to hurts we're not sensitive to the pain that others go into. We're not sensitive to the road they may have to travel. We're not sensitive to their iniquity. And we're, more significantly, we're not sensitive to the fact that they're on the brink of eternal damnation. We're not sensitive to that. And that's that burden that the church has to get back. I pray that this church and all churches around here, that we begin to get this burden for souls again. That we begin to look at people and see them the way God does. That he values them, that he shed his blood for them, but without Christ, they'll go to hell. And so we must be that voice crying in the wilderness to pray them in. But I, I, I love that the Bible records that Paul got stirred. What stirs you? Amen. What stirs you? That's a question that you should ask yourself. And, and, and is there anything, is there any sin, is there any pain, is there anything that, that can stir you up righteously? Is there anything? Because Paul here, he gets stirred. 
Amen? He gets stirred. And, and if, if you're in a place right now where you're complacent, you're right where the devil wants you to be. Because if, if he can't, look, if, if he can't cause you to stumble and fall, he at least wants to set you on the sideline. He at least wants you to, to, to zip your mouth and to be quiet and to be complacent and to not care. Look, the church has never been called to, to the golf course mentality. We've never been called to the lawn chair. We've never been called to that. We've been called to wage war against the enemy's strongholds. We've been called to wage war. The Jesus even said that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's what he said. But where do we find the church today? Well, we're, we're, we're playing uh, games. We're, we're doing golf course things, and we're, we're playing pin the tail on the donkey and things like this. We're having movie night. That's what we're doing. We're having movie night conference, and we're raising money for a new building. That's what we're doing. And we'll sell a book or a DVD to you also. But the call of the church was different. The call of the church is to get stirred up. Why? Why did Jesus say the gates of hell would not prevail against you? Because we're supposed to be on offense, going out, bringing the gospel to those that are without, bringing them into the house of God, bringing them into the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Look, not with movie night, with the gospel. The gospel is the only means of salvation. It is the gospel that we're supposed to do. Now, Paul here in Acts 17 gets stirred up and he begins to preach to these people. Now, one of the things that he does, and we're not going to go through all this, but they had, they had all of these false gods. They had false god after false god after false god after false god. Here's what's, here's what's interesting. They weren't not worshipers. They were worshipers. You, you, they, I want you to get, they were worshipers. When they sang to Diana, it was probably a beautiful sound. They probably had the, the drums and the clarinets and the clapping and the shouting, but they were worshiping false gods. Not all worship is worshiping of the true God. You have to be careful what some people call worship may not be worship. It may be worshiping what you don't want to worship. So I'll never forget whenever we first were pastoring, I, said, I need to look at the words of these worship songs. I want to make sure that they line up with the scripture. You start ruffling feathers when you go down that road. But, you know, we have to be adamant that we're not worshiping false gods. And right now, the, the devil is very sly, and, and the, the church is a worshiping thing. The church was made to worship. It's just what we're worshiping is the key because there's a lot of people that worship and, and they don't worship the one true God. So here we see that while they have all these false gods, all these false idols on display in Athens, Paul finds one that they, because they had so many of them, that there was one that they made. They said, well, this is the one we haven't found yet. This is the one, you know, we got the one for the wind and the one for the rain. We got the one for strength. We've got, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how people pray for those things that, you know, pray for Saint so-and-so for this and pray for Saint so-and-so for that. I mean, they had a God for everything. And then they had one that was like, all right, if we left anything out, it's like whenever you used to play Uno, that draw four, it was that, it, it was all the colors. It hit everything. They had that one, that wild card. It was, this is the God to cover anything we forgot. And so Paul was all stirred up about their false idolatry, and he just comes and he says, I'm going to tell you about that one. I'm going to tell you about the one you don't know. I'm going to tell you about the one you don't know. That's what I'm going to tell you about. So it says in verse 22, it says that, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and he said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. And what that means is they're worshiping, but they're worshiping false gods. That's what he means. You, you, you're, wor you're worshiping, but you're worshiping the acorn. You're worshiping the squirrel. You're worshiping the tree. You're worshiping the grass. You're worshiping the leaf. You're worshiping, but you're not worshiping God. You're not worshiping God. 
It's, it's like the Hindus. They, they have 5,000, they have millions of gods who worship everything except the one true God. So here you see, he said, you're too superstitious, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. That's Paul, that's an apostle's fancy way of saying, I'm going to preach to you what you don't know. I'm going to preach to you what you don't know. You ignorantly worship him. I'm going to tell him who, I'm going to tell you who he is. And so he says in verse 24, God that made the world. Hello. He didn't say uh, Big Bang or monkeys or rocks or anything like that. It wasn't plasma soup. God that made the world. However, you want to swallow that. There it is. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Pause. Guys, take a, take, think about this. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a, a Benjamite. He was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a master of the law. He knows what the temple was made for. He knows what happened when the glory came down and the priest fell down. He knows about the temple. And yet he says, God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now, how does he get that? How does he get that? Because he is telling them that God's desire, God's desire is far above what you've considered. It's more than that. Some people think, I just get saved to go to church. God don't, God don't need your membership. He wants your love. God doesn't need us to build big buildings. He needs us to be a pure bride. God is, is not desiring marble floors, but maybe some people with their knees on the floor. God's desire is that he has a people, not a place. See, God is everywhere in all things, but he comes in our life by invitation. It is by surrender that he comes in our life. He could force himself in. He could kick the door open. He could make you a robot. He could make you do whatever he wants to do. In fact, there's some people in the Old Testament, he made them bark like dogs and eat grass. He could make you do anything he wanted to make you do. But he asks you, he asks you to believe. It is by faith that the kingdom of God advances. And so I want you to see that if God wanted to just sit up inside you, he would. But he, in, he, it's invitation. It's an invitation into new life. That's what it is. God says, if you believe, it'll be done. Now, look at this next verse. He says that... Um, he dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and as made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and as determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Now, I'm going to stop right there, but I wanted to touch on that because I want you to see that God has made of one blood all nations. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile or black or white or red or purple or yellow or whatever. There's no difference. God is made of one blood every nation. We all share the same blood. And so when, when that just kind of squashes a lot of the the discrimination and all this kind of stuff that is the the devil is using in our generation right now he's using it to cause division he's using it to cause unnecessary resentment and anger and bitterness it, it, and he's using it to his advantage to divide the people of God and to keep people away from the truth. What it's doing is it's causing people to follow after these things and to search and to go down these roads rather than to hold to God's truth, to hold to God's standard. Now, 
it says here that he's not worshiped with men's hands. He, he, didn't, he didn't want you to build a temple for him to dwell in, and he's not worshiped with men's hands, meaning it's not just the outward act that God's looking for. You could, you could wave the flag, you could shout, shake the hand, but if your heart's not waving and your heart's not shaking, it doesn't matter to God. It's not that God just gets, it's not that his heart flutters when he sees you lift your hand in worship. His heart flutters when your heart flutters in worship. You see, if it was just about lifting hands, we'd just make a rule. Everybody lift your hand at six o'clock. But God wants the heart. That's what that means. It's not that God wants a physical building. It's not that he's just looking for a new place to live. It's not like, oh, my, you know, uh, my rent's due. I'm not going to live here anymore. I need to find a new place to live. Build me a new house. That's what a lot of church folks think. But how is it that God accomplishes this? How is it that God accomplishes this? Well, it's, it's amazing how he does it. He does it in, in, uh, he does it in us, just like Jesus said in John 14. He's with you, but he'll be in you. That's how he does it. See, God's desire is not to live in a building. It's to live in you. His desire is not to live in a beautiful palace, but to live in a surrendered heart. That's his desire. His desire is to give you a testimony. His desire is to give you new life. His desire is to take a life that the world has said, that's trash, that's dirt, that's nothing. The best, your best days are behind you. You don't have anything left in the tank. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You've had the deck stacked against you since you was born. That's the very one God wants to inhabit. That's the very one God will use. God wants to live in you. God wants to live in you. And he, and he, look, he causes the wise to stumble when he does that. He causes those that know it all to not know it all when they see God in you. That's what happens. And that's how God gets glory. You, you think about it. it. Whenever Jesus was here on this earth, he was not anything to behold visually, physically. It was spiritually. And it, it just caused the Pharisees to get tripped up all the time. They couldn't believe just some old guy from Galilee knew all this stuff. They didn't see it because the world can't receive it. The world can't see it. So here you see that it is not temples that God's looking for, and it's not just your outward action. So I want you to see that before we move on. It's not just your outward action that God's looking for. If God was looking for hands to wave at him, he would make hands wave at him. He's looking for hearts to love him. He's looking for hearts to love him. So God can see through our worship. God can see through our Bible study. God can see through our church attendance. God can see through the way that we, you know, discern the word, the way that we, you know, pay attention, the way that we receive it. God can see through it. God can see whether we worship him for the right reasons. It's not the hand waving that he's looking for. It's the heart, the heart waving that he's looking for. And if you're willing to, to wave the heart, you'll find that God will minister to you. God will come and dwell with you. So let me show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Oh, this is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You look at verse number 19. It's a longer passage, continuation, but Paul really kind of sums it up here in these last two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. We just saw that God's desire is not to dwell in temple made of hands, but to dwell in temples of people, 
to dwell in you. That's his desire. His desire is to live in you and you and you and you and you and you and you. That's his desire. And you know that God is not, is, is miss, the mission is not complete until we all have God living on the inside. Till we all are filled with the Spirit of God, till we all have that comforter, till the Spirit of truth lives in all of us, until we all are a temple unto God ourselves. And he says that the Holy Ghost is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. That means if God's there, he's the boss. If God's not there, you're still wrecking it. But if God's there, you've had to surrender. And we get in trouble as believers when we try to take the steering wheel again. What happens? That's whenever Christians get lukewarm. We get lukewarm because we've stopped living surrendered to him. We get lukewarm because we've stopped living in submission to the spirit of God. We've taken the steering wheel again. We're not going to cry at the altar. We're not going to get down on our knees. We're not going to pray. We're not going to seek God's face. We're not going to worship with our heart. We're not going to witness to that person that we know needs the Lord. We're not going to share the gospel with our neighbors. We're not going to proclaim the truth to those that don't have it. And what we've done is we've taken the steering wheel back from God. Now we've got ourselves in a predicament because God's in us, but God's not moving through us. Now we got ourselves in a pickle. What we've done is we've gone on and grieved the Holy Ghost. And that's one of the dangerous places that a Christian can get into is when you've been filled with the Spirit of God, when you've lived and you've surrendered your life to God, but yet you don't allow God to live through you. You just say, you just stay back there in the back. I'll pull you out on Sunday. You just stay back there. When, when I get in a bind and I need a little bit of oomph, I'll call on you. But you just stay back there. That's when we get ourselves in a bind. And it happens every time we go throughout our day without giving it to God. Lord, open my eyes to people that need you. Open my eyes to people that need the truth. Open my eyes to share the gospel. Look, maybe you've talked to a family member or two thousand times. But when was the last time you said, Lord, give me the words Lord, give me the words to say. I, you know, the Bible says that he that wins souls is wise and that wisdom comes from God and he gives liberally to those that ask. Lord, I've tried a thousand times to share the gospel to my spouse or to my neighbor or to my, you know, whoever. Lord, I need your help. Help me. Lord, what are we doing? We're getting back in that place of submission and surrender to God. We're getting back in that place where we're not grieving him, but we're glorifying him. And what we'll find is that God will use that. God, look, God is not interested in just being pulled out of that little box on Sunday morning. He wants to live through us 24-7. He wants to be glorified in the way, look, when you get disappointed during the day, he wants to be glorified in it. When you get upset or angry, he wants to, he can be glorified in that. Why? Well, you don't, you didn't use your temper like you used to. Thank you, Lord. I didn't curse. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. My mouth has been redeemed. You know, or maybe you get in a place where you're, you know, you're sad and you just, you know, you turn on the TV and then you're like, you know what? I don't need to be watching this. God gets glorified in that. How? You didn't watch what you used to watch. You didn't get sucked into that vacuum you used to get sucked into. Glory to God. Hallelujah. There's something going on in us. What? The Spirit of God is beginning to re be revived. The Spirit of God is beginning to move afresh. We're breaking up the fallow ground. We're beginning to have give God something to work with in our lives. But a lot of people just want to stay in that place where they just pull God out on Sunday morning. You're not going to have God moving in your life. You have to make that choice on which one you want. You have to make that choice on which one you want. So you see here that you're supposed to be God's. And when you're not, you're grieving God. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be God's. And when you're not, you're grieving God. The verse before that said, flee fornication. Flee fornication. It's when you join yourself to that which you're not supposed to. 
That's what fornication means. For, for, for those that grew up in Texas like me, it's fornication is whenever you have relations, sexual relations with someone who's not your spouse. When you've not been married by God, joined in holy matrimony, and still living in sin, this, this, is, this is fornication. And this is, God said that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornicators, liars, you can go down the list. But do you know that we can commit spiritual fornication? We can join ourselves to things that are not of the Spirit of God? Now, most people, now I know we live in the, air, in, you know, 21st century, but most people understand fornication's wrong. You can't do that. Can't be a Christian and do that. But more than that is that we've quenched, we've quenched what God's doing in us. We've stopped the flow of God in our lives. Because God is holy. God is holy, and his desire is to inhabit, look, not a temple made of hands, but a heart. A heart. And if we're not giving God our heart, then we're, we're going to be grieving him. Now, look at this next part. It says, for you are bought. This is, the, this is the, the other part of it. You're not your own. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm glad I'm not my own. I can't tell you how many bad decisions I made in my life. I'm so glad I'm not my own. I'm so glad I'm not responsible for me. I'm so glad that I'm not my own. Hallelujah. I belong to God. I belong to God. How you know that, Pastor? Because they're verse 20. I've been bought. That's why I'm not my own. I know that. I've been bought. Have you been bought? He says, for you are bought with a price. You're bought with a price. Do you know what the price was? The price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Peter said, you've not been redeemed with the blood of bulls or goats. With the precious blood of of the Lamb, of Jesus. What redeemed you was not just some old animal, some sacrifice, some prayer, some this, some that. If you're redeemed, it's because the blood of Jesus, God incarnate, was applied to your soul. If the blood was applied to your soul, I got news for you. You're not your own anymore. You belong to somebody else. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. I don't make my own decisions. I don't do what I want to do. Well, if I got a decision to make, you know who I go to? I go to the Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit, and I seek God's face on a subject. If, if there's something that needs to happen, God will lead us in it. Why? Because I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I belong to him. I belong to him. He bought me. He bought you. He bought you on Calvary's hill. Aren't you glad for Mount Calvary? He bought you. The offer is to all. The Bible says that salvation has appeared to all. In the book of Titus. Salvation's appeared to all. Jesus on the cross, he paid it all. So that whosoever would believe on him would be saved. The offer to be purchased has been given to every soul. Now watch this. He says, you were bought with a price. That's the blood. You, 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 we, um, I am sure of this as I'm standing here right now. I am sure of this as I'm standing here right now. We don't understand the value of the blood. Now, don't think carnally, Christianly, right? Don't think about the DVDs. I'm not talking about what the blood can do for you, how you can use it to get this and that, and how you can use it to get out of a bind. I'm not talking about that. I'm, not, I'm saying we don't understand the value, what it costs God. We don't understand what it cost him to come to the earth to redeem us. We don't understand what it cost him to bear our sin on Calvary's hill, 
to become a curse for us. We don't understand. We don't understand. So I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, when we see him in glory, we'll begin to get a glimpse of it. And the reason that we'll worship him for eternity, ages and ages and eons and eons and eternity upon eternity, the reason is because we'll be glorifying him because he bought us. He bought us. It'll just be unfolding and unfolding how God did that. We don't understand. We don't understand. So he says, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. That is, that God get a testimony out of you. That God be seen. That God be beautified. That, that people understand what God has done for you. Glorify God. You were bought, so glorify God. Give, open your mouth and tell people what God did for you. Glorify God. Amen? Give people the reason why you have hope, the reason why it's grace, the reason why the blood has set you free. Give people that testimony. Glorify God. Say, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing, but God bought me, and, he, and then he came and he lived inside me, and he's guided me, and, and, and that's where we glorify God. But look what he says. There's two specific areas Paul's talking about. He says glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's two avenues in which we can glorify God here. I want to touch on these. You can glorify God in your body and in your spirit, not one or the other, not just on a piece of paper, not just on Facebook, but in reality, in your body and in your spirit. Now, there's, there's a couple of ways that we can glorify God in our bodies. How? Well, the preceding two verses says flee fornication. That's obvious. Number one is to walk away from things that aren't of God. Glorify God in your body. Separate from that which is not God. How do you glorify God in your body? abstain from that which is sin abstain from alcohol abstain from smoking abstain from all those sins that you see in the outward body but what are other ways that you can glorify God you can glorify God in the way that you dress you glorify God in modesty you glorify God in in your appearance you glorify God so that people can see you there's something different about you you don't live according to the world's standards. You live according to glorifying God in your body. How do we glorify God? How do we do it in our body? By our appearance, by being modest. Look, you can be modest in your dress and still a devil. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The devil can dress up, you know, and, and look like Aunt B. But what, but what I want you to see, though, is that you as a Christian are called to be modest even in your appearance at all times. He doesn't say glorify God when you feel like it. Glorify God on Sunday. It don't say that. It says glorify God in your body. And so there's ways that we do that, the way that we appear. Look, do you appear happy? Do you glorify God in your body when you appear like you're excited about worshiping Lord? Or do you glorify God by, hmm, wish pastor would hurry up and get done. Tired of this. We glorify God in our bodies. Do you know that there's a thing called body language? And do you know that your body language speaks even when you don't want to speak with words, but you can glorify God with your body language? You can glorify God with being excited about God. God knows. God knows. But how do we glorify God? How do we do that? So there's, you, you, there's, you know, obvious things. Like, you're not going to glorify God by being drunk at the bar, 12 o'clock midnight, you know, downtown. You're not going to, no. So we understand that. Most people do. Now, there are some Christians out there that would debate that, like to argue that, but they're wrong. So you can't do that because the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 
So we'll go down that road later. But there's obvious things that we know we're not supposed to do. Adultery, fornication, these things. Drugs. Well, I saw that uh, there's a state up on the West Coast, Oregon. Heroin's legal now, pastor. So I can do it, right? No, it's still going to defile your body. It's still going to, you know what? Some, uh, you know, in... Um, in Germany, a few years ago, it was legal to kill Jews. Still didn't make it right, but they did. Okay? There was time in our nation's history it was legal to have slaves. Don't make it right, but they did. So just because a, a, a poor society, a godless society makes ungodly laws, still doesn't give you the right to do it. You have, to, you have to, and you're called to glorify God in your bodies. You're called to be sober at all times. Whatever causes you to not be sober is something we shouldn't do, whether it's recreational marijuana or medical marijuana or LSD or alcohol or wine on Friday night. If it causes us to not be sober, it's not for us because we're called to glorify God in our bodies because God is holy. He said that he is holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So in our bodies, there's even things we can do in our bodies when people aren't watching. And even at those times, you're, there's a call on your life to glorify God with your body at all times. Even on Friday nights, even when nobody's there, you're called to glorify God at all times with your body. Why? Because you were bought. You want to go back out on your own? Or do you want to be a purchased individual? If you're a purchased person, we're called to live it. We're called to live and glorify God with these bodies that he bought. The second part of that is our spirit. We can glorify God in our spirit. Now, hang on. There's things that we can get involved in in our spirit that bring, uh, that, that bring rebuke to our walk with God and will grieve God instead of glorify God. There's things that we can get involved in. Things like unforgiveness. That doesn't glorify God when you're unforgiving towards somebody. It does not glorify God for you to walk around and say, well, you know what? I know that, you know, God's done this for me, but I'll never forgive my neighbor for parking in my grass. Now I got to reseed it. They did it 20 years ago, and I'm still mad about it. Or they didn't invite me to that wedding. Well, I've, seen, I've never seen things happen as bad as at funerals when families end up, you know, sometimes funerals will pull a family together, but sometimes it'll cause separation because, because. And when feelings get hurt in those kinds of situations, bitterness begins to run, unforgiveness begins to set up, but I'm telling you right now, God is not glorified when we live in unforgiveness. If there's unforgiveness in our spirit or unrepentance, if there's something in our life, maybe it's something in our past that we've not repented of. You might say, well, you know, I'm all right right now. Well, I know you're all right right now. You said you ate a few hours ago. You're sitting in air conditioning right now. I know you're all right right now. But you know who will lie to you? Your flesh will lie to you. Your flesh wants to harbor those things. Your flesh don't want to let go of those things. And so that's why we need the searchlight of the Holy Spirit to say, God, is there something in me that I'm not repenting of, that I'm, that I'm holding, that I'm harboring? Is there something in there? Because I know me, and I'm going to tell me everything's fine. But you know me, Lord. You know me, Lord. Is there something in there that I've not gone to my knees on? And you might say, but pastor, that was 25 years ago. Well, even more the need to go to the knees now. Better to go to the knees now than find out later you didn't. Unrepentance is one of the ways that we bring, that we grieve the Holy Spirit instead of glorifying God, the Holy Spirit. 
And, and we can get involved in wickedness, you know, things that are just generally wicked in our lives. Maybe it's things we watch on TV. That'll get in your spirit. You can get involved in witchcraft. You can get involved in things with evil spirits like yoga, magic, and all these kinds of things. You can get involved in all kinds of different things. And all of them grieve the Spirit of God instead of glorify God. And when we're, when we're okay, when we're okay with our spirit grieving God, we're not okay. When we're okay with our bodies grieving God, we're not okay. We, we can't, we cannot allow ourselves to get so complacent that we live lives in our bodies and in our spirits that continually grieve God. Because what we'll find is we'll come, we'll come back to Athens. We'll come back to Athens because once we've grieved God and God's not there in our lives anymore, now we've turned back to the, to the people on Mars Hill and we want to worship in a building and with hands instead of God that inhabits us, the God that lives in us. You see, it's a dangerous place. Once we begin to get complacent and lukewarm and grow cold and grieve God, we'll turn back into Mars Hill and we'll want to resurrect and make a big temple. And we think that God is moved by this waving of the hands. But he's not worshipped by men's hands. He's worshipped in men's hearts. He's worshipped in men's hearts. He's not moved by how loud we sing. He's not moved by how beautiful the song was. He's not moved by the size of the crowd. He's moved by the size of the heart. He's moved by the purity of the heart. He's moved by the sincerity of the heart. He's moved when we move toward him. The Bible says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now, I was ministering this and, 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 and really wanted you to see that God's desire is to live in you. God's desire is to live in you, to dwell in you, to inhabit you. We have a dangerous position sometimes of, of, of grieving God in things that we involve ourselves in, even in something so simple as what we watch on TV. Even in something, maybe somebody at work is the dirty joke teller, and you just got to listen. You don't have to listen. You don't have to watch those things. You don't have to do those things. Glorify God. Glorify God in your body and glorify God in your spirit. Why? Because God wants to use you. We, as you glorify God, God will use you. It's not about just being some super-duper Christian. It's about just being a Christian. And what we need today is Christians. What we need today is a move of God in the church world. We need God to wake us up. We need a move of God right now like never before. This, look, never in our nation's history has sodomy been promoted. Sodomy's being promoted. Evolution's being promoted. People don't know which bathroom or gender they are. They don't know. Why? Because they won't hold the truth. And as God uses you and God inhabits you and you glorify God in your body and in your spirit, you'll be a living testimony to those that don't have God. Why? So God can use them. So God can touch their lives. Let me show you one last verse in Matthew chapter 5. I'll close right here. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 16, this is God's call for our lives. When we glorify God and God lives in us, our bodies, our spirit, people around us will notice. You, you may think that you're fooling people, but you're not. You may think you're fooling God, but you're not. God knows whether we're sincere or not. He knows. Amen? You don't need me or anybody else. Just God knows. God knows. And here's the thing. 
But why is that important, Pastor? Because as you glorify God, His light shines through you. As you live a holy, set-apart life, His light shines through you. As you don't walk the walk that they, you don't go to the movies that they go to. You don't sorrow when they sorrow. You don't involve your body in things they involve their bodies in. You don't dress the way that they dress. You don't do what they do. You don't involve your spirit in things that are wicked. Why don't y'all do this? Why don't y'all do that? Because my spirit is not my own. It was bought. That's why. Why don't you go and do this? Because I'm not my own. I was bought. And I thank God I was bought. And as you live that out, God's light will begin to shine in your life. Look at this verse as we come to the end here. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That's glorifying God. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're called to live so that others will see God in us. And as we do that, they, these people that don't know whether what their gender is, these people that don't know they're supposed to be married, these people that don't know they're not supposed to you know, do drugs, or these people that don't know, they'll begin to glorify God. Because they'll be like, I thought everybody watched pornography. You don't watch pornography? Do you know what's a shame? You know what's a shame? There's some churches that promote pornography. They're not real churches. But that's a shame. Because we've been called to be set apart. We've been called to live holy lives. We've been called to glorify God. And when you live in a manner that the world doesn't live, and when, you, when the spirit in you is not the same spirit that's in the world, the world will see the difference, and they will glorify God. See, God never called the church to be like the world. He called you to be like him. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. He did not say, be ye like the world. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. He called you to be like him, not like the world. And as we do that, we'll find God in our lives more. We'll find a greater anointing on our lives. We'll find a greater filling in our lives. We'll find more of God in us. We'll find that he's alive on the inside again. We'll find that our worship has been revived. We'll find, we'll get reignited in our study of the word of God. It won't be boring anymore. We'll find that we're reignited in our desire to see souls saved. It won't be trudgery. It won't be just for the super duper Christians that want to get the star sticker. It will be something that we all desire to do. But only God can do it, and he will do it when we do what we're supposed to do. Amen? Hallelujah.